this morning, I, I'm really actually pretty excited about, about what we're doing this morning. Um, if you've been here the last few weeks, and obviously in the journey of our church the last couple of years, that we've been walking through this process of, of really turning ourselves inside out, not only as a church family, but as individuals, and realizing that God has called us not only to be a church that, that focuses on mission, that is a church that we use the term missional, but that we realize that we are actually individual missionaries in our own context, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in the places that we live. And because of that, this, there's this been this journey that we've been on. Um, and this morning, we are continuing, and we've talked about this month preparations in terms of preparing ourselves for what God is doing over this next year and the recreation that he's working through our lives. Uh, this morning, uh, Brad Briscoe is here, and he's going to be our speaker. And let me tell you just a little bit about Brad. Um, some of you, there's there's a, a number of our leaders in the church who have who've read a book that Brad and a, a man, a guy named Lance uh, Ford, have written called The Missional Quest. Uh, Brad is an author and a church plant, uh, church planter, and he resources and and uh, church planters and does a lot of things in a lot of different movements and denominations. Uh, but this this book has really become a catalyst to understand the importance of what it means to be missionally in, as an individual follower of Jesus. Very practical. It starts with, uh, in fact, you'll hear some from Brad this morning about really the theological context of the, the fact that God is a missionary God, and if we are his people, then we are to be missionaries as we follow him. And so I'm excited you're going to get some great insight from, from Brad this morning. And I want you to see this is not just, oh, a guest speaker's coming in because Pastor John's tired. I'm not. Okay, I'm all right. It's actually wonderful because uh, Dennis Easter contacted me and knowing that Brad was going to be in town and beginning to build friendship with Brad, he said, hey, would you want Brad to come speak? I'm like, that works perfectly for where we're at as a church. It would be wonderful for, for, for our church to hear what Brad has to say. So would you welcome Brad this morning as he comes to share with us about the missionary heart of God? Thanks, John. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> well, good morning. It's very, very good to be with you this morning. And I've enjoyed the opportunity to get to know John just a little bit over the last couple of days. Um, let me share with you just a little bit more about myself so you kind of know where I'm coming from. Uh, married, been married for 21 years, have a 20-year-old son, a 14-year-old son, and we've just recently adopted a 4-year-old girl, which is a big deal because I'm old. Um, now, seriously, about once a month I find myself doing the math, like how old will I be when she graduates from high school? I just hope I'm still alive. So... Um, John and I, we've talked a little bit about this. We do foster care, and we do a lot of foster care. Just over the last three years, we've had over 70 kiddos come through our home. And in fact, we have an extra kid at our house right now, a 16-year-old girl. But um, boy, we just love it. I was telling John, it, boy, it's just what a wonderful opportunity it is to influence the lives of the kids. Secondly, what a wonderful opportunity it is to influence the lives of the parents, which in 90% of the cases uh, is a single mom. But I always like to say it's the single best thing we've ever done for our two boys. I mean, it's just been a wonderful uh, way for them to, to see uh, how so many other kids live on a daily basis. So it's really been a blessing to us. Um, tell you just a little bit more, uh, my, I like to say my day job is I work for a large mission organization called the North American Mission Board as what's called a church planning catalyst. So I uh, recruit and train and resource and coach church planters. I've been doing that for about 16 years. But over the last several years, I also, uh, on a volunteer basis, work for another organization called Forge, and Forge is a mission training agency uh, that was started in Australia about 20 years ago, and about five years ago, we started what's called Forge America, and it's just all about training people uh, to plant churches, but also it's to help existing congregations kind of transition or shift in more of an outwardly focused, kind of externally focused 
or to use the word missional direction. Um, so just tell you a little bit about uh, kind of where I'm coming from. Now here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to start off by uh, playing a little word association game. So you guys look like a pretty safe crowd. I think we can do this. I'm going to throw out a word, and I really, I want you to just shout out the very first thing that pops into your head. Okay? <laughs> is, you think it's okay? Uh, John's nervous right now. Um, okay, so here's the word. The word is missionary. Sacrifice, good. What else? Us, okay, good. Overseas. What else? Okay, people, good. I'm, I can't believe someone didn't say Africa. It's like anytime I do this, someone always says, now you said overseas, but a lot of times they say Africa or that's good. Good. Oh, you did. Okay, good. <laughs> well, it's funny. When you look the word missionary up in the dictionary, you'll find something like this. Someone sent on a mission. Well, that's helpful, isn't it? <laughs> Don't you hate it when the dictionary does that? You're looking up a word, and it uses a form of the word you're looking up to define the word you're looking up. It's like, that's not very helpful. Well, what about that word mission? Now, when you hear the word mission, you know, if you're as old as I am, you might say, well, I remember there was a television program called Mission Impossible. And some of you are saying, that was a television program, (laughs) right? (laughs) You thought it was just a movie, didn't you? Or a series of movies. Um, If you're, you know, spend any time in the military, you might think of military mission, if you come from the business world, you might think of a mission statement. You know what a mission, and really a lot of churches, almost every church has a mission statement. And what a mission statement is supposed to do is supposed to kind of define and describe what an organization does. So a lot of times churches have mission statements to describe or define what it is that the church does. But if you look the word mission up in the dictionary, now this might sound kind of silly like the de- definition for missionary, but I actually think it's very profound and very helpful. If you look the word mission up in the dictionary, you'll find something like this. It'll say relating to sending or being sent. Now, I actually think that's pretty helpful. Mission is relating to either sending or being sent. Well, I want to argue this morning and kind of challenge you a bit that I think when people in the church hear the word mission, they think way more often about sending than they do being sent. So this morning, what I want to do, I want to share with you four kind of theological perspectives or or kind of a framework that I think should challenge the way we think about sending versus being sent. I think it should challenge the way we think about the word missionary. It should challenge the way we think about the word mission. And it should really form and shape and, and really define who we are as followers of Jesus. So four things. The, the, the first... Um, The first three are just a little more theological, and the last one, then we're going to get really practical and try to apply it to our daily lives, all right? So here's the first one. The first point is that God is a sending God, and God has been a sender for a very long time. What I mean by that is throughout Scripture, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times, there's this theme that we just miss often that I call the sending language in Scripture. It's amazing. There there are pictures of where God calls people out and then he sends them to either announce or to participate in his redemptive purposes. And it happens over and over and over again. It's fascinating. You know, it starts in Genesis chapter 12 where God calls Abram and he sends Abram or Abraham to become a new people or a new nation. 
But it's throughout the historical books of the Old Testament. There's a great passage, a very long one in Exodus. The, the whole dialogue between Pharaoh, or between God and Moses about sending him to Pharaoh. Uh, in just five verses, six times, you hear this sending language of God saying, I'm sending you, Moses, to, to Pharaoh to challenge him to let my people go. So it's throughout all the historical books of the Old Testament. It's even in the poetic books of the Old Testament. But it's especially prevalent in the prophetic books of the Old Testament. I mean, just think about it. The books of prophecy in the Old Testament, they were first and foremost people God called and sent to participate in his redemptive purposes. So let me just give you a couple examples so you kind of see what I'm, where I'm coming from. Probably the most famous example is the, the book of Isaiah. And most of you are probably familiar with Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Remember in this verse, God says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And you know the story, Isaiah kind of like waves his hand and he says, Here am I. And then what does he say? Send me. It's a fascinating passage. We kind of get like God's Trinitarian fullness as it relates to sending. Because he said, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I, am, here I am, send me. What's fascinating in the book of Isaiah is after Isaiah has been called out, after Isaiah has been commissioned, after Isaiah has been sent, later in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 61, there's this fascinating passage where Isaiah is reflecting on the things that God has sent him to do. It's Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1, 2, and 3. There's several things about this passage that is very fascinating to me. First off, most English translations only render the verb, and the verb is, he has sent me once, and then they list what I call redemptive deeds. In other words, there's nine of these things that Isaiah says God has sent me to do. Well, the reality is, in the Hebrew, every one of those redemptive deeds flows from that single verb, he has sent me. And I think it's unfortunate in a lot of English translations, it just says he has sent me once and then it lists the deeds. Where I think it's very powerful every time you read one of those redemptive deeds to go back to that Hebrew verb. And that's the way I want to read it this morning. Just so you hear again the sending language in the book of Isaiah. Now a couple other things I think is fascinating about this passage. First off, I think it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. I mean, when you hear all the things that Isaiah says God has sent him to do, I think it's a beautiful picture of what we have been sent to do as well. It's just kind of a picture of a very robust, comprehensive gospel of all the things we should be engaged in. But the third thing that I think is fascinating about this passage is I read this passage. If you say to yourself, hey, that kind of sounds familiar, but I'm not sure I've ever read Isaiah chapter 61. It's because Jesus makes personal application of this passage to his own ministry in Luke chapter 4. So that's kind of cool, isn't it? I mean, in Luke chapter 4, do you remember he goes into the synagogue and they unroll the scroll and they read a passage and Jesus says, that's me. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill that. Well, it's this passage in Isaiah chapter 61 they're reading. So here, let me read it. I'm going to read verse 1 and then... I'm going to go back to the verb every time I list these redemptive deeds in verses 2 and 3. So Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. Then he says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim freedom For the captives. He has sent me to release from darkness the prisoners. He has sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
He has sent me to comfort all who mourn. He has sent me to provide for those who grieve in Zion. He has sent me to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He has sent me to bestow the oil of gladness instead of mourning. And he has sent me to bestow a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I mean, I really, over the last couple of years, I think this has become my favorite passage in all of Scripture. I just love this robust, comprehensive view of God's redemption to all of these broken places. I love it. And I love the fact that Jesus applies this passage to his own ministry. So I hope you hear in just that one simple example in Isaiah chapter 61, he has sent me, he has sent me, he has sent me. Now, just another example. The Old Testament closes with this little prophetic book called Malachi. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, God promises to send a special messenger as a forerunner to the Messiah. Now, who's the, spe- who's the special messenger? Yeah, John the Baptist. And in, in the New Testament, how is John the Baptist described? He's described as a man sent by God. That's kind of cool, isn't it? <laughs> So the first point is that God is a sending God. But the second point is that the sending God sends the Son. So God the Father is a sending God, but the sending God sends the Son. Let me just give you one example. Uh, The Gospels are full of this sending language. Uh, The Gospel of John, it opens with the incarnation. Now think about that for a minute. The incarnation of Christ is the ultimate sending, is it not? I mean, God the Father sends the Son to take upon human flesh, to dwell with us, to move into the neighborhood and become like us and to be with us. It's the ultimate sending. God sends his Son. So the Gospel of John opens with the incarnation and it closes with John chapter 20, verse 21, where Jesus says, just as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. And in between those two verses, nearly 40 times, Jesus refers to himself as the one sent by the Father. Isn't that interesting? Now, don't worry, I'm not going to read all 40 verses to you. But let me, let me just read you six or seven. Again, just so you can hear this. These are all the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. 334. For he, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. 523. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. John 5, 30, I seek not my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Two more, eight eighteen. I bear witness to myself and the father who sent me bears witness to me also. John 17, 18, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So the first point is that God is ascending God. The second is the ascending God sends the Son. And the third is that the ascending God sends the Spirit. Now there's two really cool passages in the Gospel of John. One passage says God the Father sends the Spirit, and another passage says Jesus sends the Spirit. So in John 14, 26, 
This is the reference with God. It says, this counselor is the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. And then a little bit later in 16.7, Jesus says, if I do not go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So God the Father, God is ascending God. God sends the Son. The sending God sends the Spirit. And then finally, number four, and this is where I want us to park just a little bit this morning, is that the sending God sends the church. Or really, another way to say this, the way I I usually like to say this, is that throughout the Gospels, we see God the Father and the Son and the Spirit sending the church. So, you know, John used the word uh, missional. He talked about, you know, the church becoming missional or the church. And like I say, I don't really care what language you use, but it's interesting. Uh, this friend of mine, Lance and I, we've written a couple of uh, resources. One's a missional quest and one's called missional essentials. And because we use the word missional, often I'll have people say, so Brad, that word missional, I mean, what, what, what does that even mean? I mean, is that a helpful word? Should I use it? Should I not? And I'll usually say, well, just my short definition of the word missional is that missional is simply the adjective form of the noun missionary that's used to modify or describe a noun. Okay, follow? So missional is simply the adjective form of the noun missionary. So when we say missional church, we're just using missional as an adjective to define or to modify the noun church. Well, what that means when we say missional church is we're saying the church doesn't just send and support missionaries, The church is the missionary. Sometimes I'll say it like this. I'll say, uh, we often wrongly assume that the primary activity of God is in the church. Now, sometimes I'll say that like on Sunday morning at church, and some people kind of like start giving me a funny look like, where are you going with that, Brad? I mean, I'm not sure about that. So I'll say it again. I'll say, we often wrongly assume that the primary activity of God is in the church. Now, is God involved and active in the church? Of course. But I would argue that the primary activity of God is in the world, and the church is an instrument created by God to be sent into the world to participate in what he's already doing. Do you see how that changes everything? Sometimes people say it like this. God's church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. Now, that might sound like semantics, but it's not. It, for me, it's a game changer. God's church doesn't have a mission. Rather, God's mission has a church. See, the church is an instrument. It's a foretaste of the kingdom. It's a sign of the kingdom that God has created to be sent into the world. So again, we don't just send and support missionaries. That's a good thing. We should send and support missionaries. But we need to see that mission isn't just about sending. It's about being sent. And the church is a called and sent people of God. And that means individually, and that means collectively. One other little thing that, that uh, just one other way to kind of see this is there's a little Latin phrase, missio Dei, and it just means mission of God. And what we have to understand sometimes, I believe, is that it's really all about his mission. It's really all about the mission of God. It, it, it's about participating in the mission of God. So we need to figure out what is it that God's doing, and then we need to figure out how does he want us to participate. Really, this whole missional conversation for me can be boiled down to the Missio Dei. It's really about figuring out how God wants us 
to lean in and participate in what he's already doing in the world. So here's how I'd like to just take a few minutes and kind of and close this out by just giving you a simple, practical way of um, kind of a framework to say, well, what does this look like in my life? There, since, since I have some Baptist roots, they all begin with the same letter, okay? So they're all four Ds. I think that was like a requirement in seminary, I think, that we always had to, you know, have the same letter, or they had to go through the alphabet or something like that. I don't know. So I, I want to I share with you four D words that is just kind of my feeble attempt to uh, kind of summarize all this up in just a really simple, not, I don't know, kind of a pattern or a rhythm. Uh, and, and we we use and say these words in our home often, uh, on a, e- easily on a weekly basis. When there's something that comes up that we're trying to figure out for sure, we're we supposed to be involved in that, we go through these Ds. So here's what they are. Here's the first one. The first D word is, is just the word discover. So think about it like this. If it's really about God's mission and not ours, if it's really about the missio Dei, if it's really about the mission of God, if it's really about what God is doing in the world, then the first thing we have to do is discover what is God doing. And what are the implications of that? Well, it means we need to be great listeners. We need to listen to the Lord. We need to listen to our community. We need to listen to our neighbors. But we also need to listen to one another. See, I I believe mission is best done in community. Sometimes I like to say mission is a communal activity. I mean, there are times that you will engage in mission by yourself, and you should, but also there are times where we need to do it as a family of God. Does that make sense? See, and if God is a missionary God, and I believe he is, then we as his people are missionary people. And that means that we will be missionaries in our local context, sometimes individually, but often collectively or communally. So the first word is discover. And we need to be really good observers, and we need to be really good listeners. Because if it's really about what God's doing, then we need to discover what is he doing around us on a daily basis. So the first D word is discover. The second D word is discern. So think about it like this. I mean, if, again, if it's really about the Missio Dei, if it's really about the mission of God, we have to discover what God's doing. And then the hard work for me is discerning how does he want us to participate. So if the first question is, what is God doing? The second question, and this is the one we say, my wife says this all the time, <laughs> is that in light of our gifts and resources, how does God want us to participate? And see, I think the first half of that sentence is really helpful because the reality is we can't do it all. I mean, the needs are so great, we can't do it all, but we can do something. So we often say, in light of our gifts and resources. Now, it's funny, when my wife says that, she's not saying it to try to get out of something. She's trying to show me that we have plenty of gifts and resources to do whatever it is God's calling us to do. So, it's, so the first question is, what is God doing? The second question is, in light of our gifts and resources, how does God want us to participate? How does God want us to lean in? And discernment, I don't know about, about you guys, but sometimes discerning... What God wants us to do is difficult. And once again, that's why I think mission is a communal activity. We need to seek discernment from others as well about hearing for sure how it is that God wants us to, to participate. And, and that's individually, but that's as a church as well. I mean, you can't, as a church body, as a body of Christ, you can't meet all the needs in this city or in this community. So collectively, I think there are times you need to stop and say, in light of our gifts and resources, how does God want us collectively, corporately to engage in what he's doing? And see, the thing that's really crucial about this, especially when I speak with church planters, there's a thing church planters do all the time. I call it front-loading mission. 
So in other words, they already have it all figured out, or they think they do, up here, even before they move into the community, the neighborhood, or the field that they're going to plant a church. That's front-loading mission. I mean, if it's really about the Missio Dei, then we need to move in, incarnate into that local community. We need to listen to the Lord and listen to that community to figure out for sure what it is that we're supposed to do. We can't just take what someone else is doing in another part of the country, in another part of the city, and say, oh, well, we're going to do what they're doing over there, right here. That might not fit where you're going. So if it's really about the Missio Dei, then we have to make sure the Missio Dei is the starting point instead of our own technique or ingenuity or strategy being the starting point. It has to start with the mission of God. So the first word is discover. The second word is discern. And the third word, this is really simple. I like to say, uh, I have a, a friend from Australia that he mixes his metaphors. So instead of saying this isn't rocket science or brain surgery, he says this isn't rocket surgery. So I say, no, Alan, you can't. That's not it. No, it's not. But he still says it all the time. This isn't rocket surgery. And I was like, no. Um, but, but this isn't rocket surgery, okay? The third D word is just the word do. And all I mean by that is it's just about obedience. And here's why I say this. You're probably more spiritual than I am, so this probably won't be an issue for you. But for, for me, sometimes when I discover what God's doing and we've discerned what God wants us to do, I have to decide on the front end before God like opens that last door. I have to make a decision like now that I am in fact going to be obedient and I'm going to walk through that door and do what God's calling us to do. Because sometimes if I wait till the last minute and I'm like in the doorway, you know, and he opens that door, it's just too easy sometimes to go, well, maybe not. So it's funny. Once again, my wife brings this up a lot when different opportunities come up. It's like, all right, we need to decide right now. Is God calling us to do this? And we decide we are, yes, going to be obedient. We're going to do that. And then if God opens that door, we're prepared to walk through it. So it's just an act of obedience. And then the very last one, uh, once again, is not rocket surgery, uh, is debrief. And what I mean by this is, and this is just crucial, I think, is that we need opportunities to come back together with other believers and reflect and debrief on our missional engagement. I tell you, I'm convinced this is a crucial part of discipleship. I mean, I'm convinced that as we engage in God's mission, the Spirit disciples us as we engage in mission. In fact, I tell you, a lot of the discipling stuff we do, I I think, isn't fully, I don't know, effective, let's say, that's a horrible word, but fully effective if there's not some mission engagement. I mean, I think God disciples us, the Spirit disciples us as we engage in his mission, but especially when we can come back and reflect with other believers how God is shaping and forming our hearts as we engage in mission. Does that make sense? So debrief, I think, is just very, very important. So let me tell you one quick story, and we'll wrap this up, that just um, kind of encapsulate, encapsulates all of these D words for me a little bit. Um, I've got a good friend in Kansas City. His name's Sam McCord. And several years ago, actually it's been about six years ago now, Sam bought a house in a very impoverished, very difficult part of the urban core of Kansas City, Kansas. He bought a 5,000 square foot house for $30,000. Now, I tell you that just so you'll know, it needed a little work. <laughs> it needed a whole lot of work. But it was this huge house. It was built in 1910. Um, and thank goodness, Sam's undergraduate degree was in construction management, so he knew what he was doing. And he took a year to rehab this house. Well, his vision for the house was for the house to become kind of a mission training center. And we, we, today we call it the mission house. 
And uh, we do uh, an eight-week summer internship for college students in the house, and then we do another nine-month training in the house. It's really cool. But while Sam was, was uh, rehabbing the house, he had a lot of really good ideas up here in his head about what he wanted to do in the community once the house was rehabbed and all those college students moved in. They were all great things. But he had figured out here before he ever really had even moved into the house. And one day... Sam was working on the house, and he looked across the street, and uh, his neighbor, and this is sound ridiculous, but he, he, this was his nickname, and he told us to call him this, okay? But uh, he was a Hispanic gentleman, and his nickname was Nacho. And seriously, he said he wanted us to call him Nacho. I hated to call him Nacho. It seems strange. But, but his name was Nacho, and Nacho lived in the house across the street from this house that Sam built. And um, one day, Sam looked out and saw Nacho was working on the house, and he wanted to go tell Nacho the plans that Sam had up here for an elementary school that was just a block down the street. And it was great ideas. I mean, Sam wanted to tutor the students in this elementary school. He wanted to bless the teachers. He said, man, we're going to go through and paint all the rooms. All great stuff. But he couldn't wait to tell Nacho because he knew Nacho had two kids that went to that elementary school. So this one day, he looks out. It was a hot summer afternoon. He looked out and saw Nacho working on his house. So Sam thought, perfect time. I'm going to go over. I'm going to share with Nacho the, the plans we have for the elementary school. He's going to love it. It's going to be a big hug, probably a kiss on the cheek. And so he walks across the street, kind of interrupts Nacho, and he says, hey, Nacho, you know, I just saw you out here working. I just wanted to share with you, you know, you, you know, I've been working on the house here for about six months, and I just wanted to share with you, when we get this house done, we're going to fill it up with college students. They're going to be, you know, kind of missionaries to the neighborhood. And let me share with you what we're going to do down at the elementary school. So Sam starts kind of listing off the things that they're planning on doing at the school, and he gets about halfway through his little spiel, and he says, Nacho just puts his hand up like this. You know, he was saying, shut up. And he, like this, and he just pointed at Sam, and he, he went like this. <laughs> and Sam was like, uh, what, what, what's this about? And he just said, follow me. So he leads Sam down this very long driveway to the sidewalk, and then, then there was one house between Nacho's house and the corner street. So he, he leads Sam down to the corner, and they're standing on the corner of the street, and Nacho says to Sam, Sam, if you really want to bless this neighborhood... He says, get that street light back on. And Sam said he looked up at the street light. He said, you know, the sun, was, it was like 100 degrees. He was sweating. And it was like, what? <laughs> you know, it's the middle of the day. Well, Nacho proceeded to tell Sam that he had been calling the city of KCK or Kansas City, Kansas for a year to have someone come out and fix the street light. And Nacho told Sam, when that street light's not on, it's not safe for my kids to play outside after dark. Drug deals go on, go down on this corner, and people break into my car and my shed and steal my tools, which was his livelihood. Well, it took Sam about three hours to get the streetlight back on. I don't know if Nacho was calling the wrong number. He was obviously talking to the wrong people. Uh, if there was a language barrier, I'm not sure. But the very first time I heard Sam tell that story, I said, Sam, from this moment on, I'm going to refer to that story as my ITSS story. It's the streetlight, stupid. <laughs> now, I wasn't calling Sam stupid. I was just saying, you know, I, I, for me, it, it summarizes this discovery, discern, and do that God calls us to do. See, never in a million years would Sam have thought, hey, when we fill that house up, you know, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to go around and check all the streetlights. <laughs> but because Sam humbled him, and it was a great learning lesson for Sam, but because Sam humbled himself to listen to Nacho, 
discover what was going on. And this was a man that lived in the neighborhood. So here was Sam. He was, you know, eventually going to move in from the suburbs into this inner city. In a sense, Sam was front-loading mission. But when Sam took the time to listen to the neighborhood, the neighborhood told him how the neighborhood could be healed. I mean, the neighborhood told Sam what to do to be a blessing. And see, I am convinced, and I'll bet many of you are too, that the Lord prompts us daily to be a blessing. I mean, I think it happens multiple times a day that the Lord just impresses on us to be a blessing to someone else. It's to share a word of encouragement. It's, sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's buying a meal. Sometimes, I mean, you know, it's, it just runs the gamut. But too often, we suppress it. We talk ourselves out of it. We say, well, that would be awkward <laughs> you know, if I did what the Lord was asking me. But we just, we have to discover what God's doing, discern how does he want us to participate, and then we just have to decide up front, I'm going to do it. When the Lord impresses on me to do that certain thing, I'm going to decide today, I'm not going to try to figure it out. If it's awkward, I'm just going to step into the awkwardness. If the Lord's calling me to do it, then I, then I need to do it. So discover, discern, do, and then find an opportunity to reflect and debrief with other believers. So you can share stories. And once again, share how God is shaping and forming your heart as you're engaging in his mission. So let me just close with this and ask you, to whom have you been sent? To whom have you been sent? And let me challenge you with one thing, and this, this might sound harsh, but you can't be sent to the church. Now, believe me, I love the church, but the church doesn't exist for us. I like to say the church exists for the sake of others. Are we, are we a, a gathered, are we to gather? Absolutely. We are a gathered and scattered people. I like to say we are a called and sent Jesus people. But when we gather, we don't gather for our own sake, but we gather for the sake of others. We gather to come celebrate what God's doing every other day of the week, and we gather to be equipped to be sent out. Just don't forget John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus says, just as, in a like manner, just as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Let's pray. Father God, just thank you for who you are. Thank you that you did send your Son. Thank you that you are a God on mission to redeem all of creation back to yourself. And we're so grateful and thankful that you're calling us as part of that redemptive purpose. But also, Father, I'm thankful that you also entrust to us that we are part of that missionary plan. So I just pray that, that you help us to see with new eyes uh, on a daily basis those that you have sent us to. Help us identify who that person is, who that people group is. Help us to see that neighborhood. And then I pray that you give us uh, the boldness and the courage, knowing that you have sent us to lean into what you're already doing in the lives of others. And we just give you all the thanks because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Just say thank you to Brad for his sharing. Come, Brad, come here. I'm going to... 
So I know we, we didn't plan this, but okay. we've got a couple minutes. I wanted to, to – so you've just nailed in the last 30 minutes what we've been digesting as a church. Does any of that sound familiar? But set, stated in a much more clear way than I've tried to communicate, <laughs> right? You're, you're touching on a lot of different themes. That, that was a lot, for, uh, which, is, which is good. But, but a couple things I just want to – I'm going to ask you a sure. couple questions that I think are important. So because as you talk about the concept of – we've been talking about being sent and about having this missionary mindset and seeing ourselves as missionaries. The first question is if obviously it's in the Bible, we all have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. What is the biggest, maybe you can narrow it to one, the biggest barrier that we have to battle through to get from being about us to being mm. about those around us? Because we're all encountering barriers. Because the natural instinct is to stay, not to go. So, you know, and because you run in a lot of circles and you've been exposed to a lot of things, what, do you, what is one or maybe two of the biggest barriers okay. that we know that we have to overcome? So, boy, there's three things I'd say real quick. One is kind of a big over, overarching, and it's just the way we view the church. And the other two are going to be super practical. But the first is just I just think we have a misguided understanding of the church. What I mean by that is that uh, I would say up to three or four decades ago, most people viewed the church from what I call the Reformation heritage view. So what I mean by that is that coming out of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, uh, the Protestant, the, the, the Reformers kind of gave us a, a view of the church um, that are, were really around what they call three marks. So if someone said, how do you define the church or what is the church? They would say, well, it involves three things. The church is where you go to hear the word rightly taught. It's where you go to participate in the ordinances of Lord's Supper and Baptism. And in some cases, although we don't hear much about this today, it's the uh, proper exercise of church discipline. Well, I remember when I became a believer, I remember someone telling me that. And I remember thinking, that makes sense. That's helpful. That's, you know, the church is that place I go for those things. Well, the problem with that definition of church is the church becomes a place where certain things happen. So when you say, well, what is the church? People say, oh, it's that place over there that I go to a certain time on a certain day of the week. Listen, you can't go to church. <laughs> we are the church, right? I mean, it'd be like saying, hey, let's go to family. Huh? Go to, how could you go to family? So I think there's kind of a misguided view of the church. Now, most people today don't view the church that way. They view the church in more of a, a little variation view. I call it the contemporary variation view. And pretty much what I mean by that is most people today in North America, and this is hard to hear sometimes, but most people today in North America view the church as a vendor of religious goods and services. So churchgoers, church members, are really just consumers of religious goods and services. They're really customers. I mean, that's not the essence of the church. That is not the nature of the church. I mean, both of those definitions, what is... I mean, I hope you see, and I wish we, if we had more time, those, both of those definitions are woefully inadequate to understand the church. There's no mention of discipleship. There's no mention of mission. There's not even a mention of Jesus. <laughs> so instead, I think a healthier, more biblical way of understanding the church is that as a called and sent people of God. Of course we still gather, and of course we still worship, and we pray, and we study Scripture but again, we don't do it for our sake. Now, there's still community. I mean, all the one another verses in Scripture, of course. We, we care for one another. We love one another. But the essence and nature of the church is not for us. I mean, God is a missionary God. And if God is a missionary God, then we as his people are missionary people. 
Now, I think that's kind of the overarching kind of reason it's so difficult, and I think the two practical reasons we don't engage in mission, one is what I call a lack of margin, that in America we just live two chaotic, crazy of lives. So there's this great book, it was written about 30 years ago by a Christian psychiatrist, his name's Richard Swenson, and he uses this beautiful metaphor. It's been very uh, influential on in my life the last 20 years. But he talks about anytime you open a book, there's words on the page, the ink. He says, never does the ink go to the very edge of the page, does it? I mean, you don't, that would look weird, wouldn't it, if the words went right to the very edge of the page? Instead, he says, on every page, there's this thing called a margin. Well, he uses that as a metaphor to say we must have margin in our lives. In fact, if we don't have margins in our lives, then we'll never have opportunity to meet our neighbors or to get to know other people. I like to say relationships happen in the margins. Does that make sense? So I think that's one. The second big barrier, I think, is just fear. I just think in in the United States, we have such a desire for (laughs) self-preservation. There's such a desire for safety and security that it gets in the way of our missional engagement. I mean, big time. Uh, It doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean, you know, you're not wise about where boundaries are. We all need boundaries. But for the most part, most evangelical American Christians are just so focused on safety and security for themselves and their families that it's disastrous for missional engagement. So... That's probably more than you wanted to no, hear. No, that was, that was very good. That was good. So this, we'll close this at this. So the second question says, as we overcome those barriers, which are huge, and it's, it's, it, it's again, it's seeing the church differently and, and getting beyond ourselves. On a practical note, how do we, what kinds of things can we do to actually be in a place where we can see what God is doing in our community? Because I talk, we talk about it all the time. You get into our routines of life. You kind of do mm-hmm. the same thing, and, and you get so locked in on what's common and what's normal and what's familiar that we have a tendency to miss everything that's going on around right. us. So what are some practical things we can do to engage outside ourselves to see what the activity of what God is doing in our community around us? Well, again, you know, it, part of it's the Ds, just discover, discern, be aware. But I guess the, the, one other thing that I definitely would say is sometimes when we talk about all this mission, this whole missional conversation, sometimes people will feel kind of overwhelmed or weary and it's like, oh gosh, another thing I have to do. And I always say, no, it's about alignment, not addition. It's about alignment. So it's about just look at your daily life, your daily activity. And if you're really sensitive to what the Lord is prompting you to do, you, you will not have to add anything to your life. I mean, I, just a real practical sense. Let's say eating. I mean, most of us eat 21 meals a week, right? Some of us more than that. Um, well, invite someone into one of those meals. It doesn't mean you have to make a new meal. <laughs> you know, you eat lunch. You know, a lot of people eat lunch out. Have someone go with you. I mean, I'm just telling you, if you will really work at discovering, discerning what God is doing, opportunities, the door will just fly open. And there'll be things that you missed before because we just didn't have eyes to see and ears to hear. Mm-hmm. But it's not about adding more stuff to your life. It's really about aligning the rhythms of your life with the rhythms of those in your neighborhoods, where you work, through your vocation and social space, uh, you know, third places, places you go and hang out, all of that. And I can tell you, my, my wife is the best at this. She's like this radical rabbit extrovert. And it's like every day she's telling me about some, someone new she met, you know, <laughs> you know, at Target or the grocery store or whatever. Just because she's intentional about when she goes places, she's just always listening and paying attention to what God is doing in the lives of the people around her. So Excellent. hope that's helpful. Good. Thank you, Brad. So uh, why don't you stand? We're going to close. I'll close in prayer. But I want to just to mention... 
Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, Brad and Ann and Lance as well, they've written, they had a lot of resources, but they've written a book called The Missional Quest, which uh, the leaders in our church have read through and, and been challenged by. Uh, and if you're interested in that, um, Brad brought a few, but we don't want to make a run on the Resource Center. Uh, but you'll actually, this week, we'll make sure there's already uh, some information on the website, but we'll make sure it's more prominent that you can find a link. You can even go to Amazon. It's on Amazon. You can order it. It's an excellent book. It will challenge you, but a lot of the themes that you've heard Glenn, or, uh, Brad talk about this morning are in that book, but in a real practical way. Uh, in fact, and even there's the, the kind of the partner to, to that is this thing called Missional Essentials which I know John, John Looney's community group is going through right now, which it's good. It challenges us. It's uncomfortable, but it's realigning us with what God's calling us to be as a church. And it's exciting and it's scary all at the same time, but ultimately it's absolutely rewarding because it's about him, not about us. Amen? Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Brad. Thank you for his willingness to come and share. I thank you for the, the journey that you've had him on. And, and, Lord, how the things that you've poured into him, what he's learned, Lord, is, is something that we can learn from this morning. And so I ask as we, as we go today, Lord, that you would really begin to transform our, our minds and our hearts about who we are and who you are and what the church is supposed to be. And so that, Lord, we're, we would not be working from some misunderstanding or confusion, but, Lord, that you would bring clarity to us about our own lives, and we would see ourselves as missionaries, and we would see you as a God who has a missionary heart for the world. And as a result, Lord, we would begin to live differently. And as we live differently, Lord, we would be a different church, the church that you're calling us to become. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. In your name, amen. Amen.